DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual formation according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He is also author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, all published by the Crossroads Publishing Company. This particular series is based in part on Chapter 4 of Setting Captives Free, Personal Reflections on Ignatian Discernment of Spirits. Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Desolation. We don't understand it. There's a a confusion about, was it secular desolation and spiritual desolation? And there are a lot of elements that can come into play. We get mired in, in twisted trying to understand the two. And that's the one thing I hear from so many people, Father Gallagher. They're not sure if they're in desolation. They think desolation is depression. They think it's this, that, and the other thing. And um, truly, to be aware and to understand and to even know how to take action, I mean, that's important, isn't it? Yes, that triad, be aware, understand, take action, which will be either to accept the interior experience in our hearts and thoughts if we now know, understand that it's of God, or reject that experience if we know that it's not of God, of the enemy, to use Ignatius' term. That arose right out of Ignatius' conversion experience because he lived that. His eyes were opened a little, and he for the first time began to realize that thinking about living in one way, a more worldly way, was engaging while he was thinking about it, but ultimately left him empty, and thinking about living like the saints he was reading about was exciting when he read it and consistently did leave him happy. So when he noticed this, that was the first step, then understood that thoughts about living in a certain way, which were engaging in themselves but always left him empty, did not have the feel of God. Whereas thoughts about living in a different way, which were engaging in themselves but always left him happy, that showed him that the Lord was calling him to move in that direction. So he understood the spiritual experience, and then he took action. He rejected the more worldly program, embraced the program of living like the saints with the results that we know. Now, within this whole way of living the discerning life with awareness, understanding, and acting, you you bring us to focus on specifically spiritual desolation which is not the happiest topic in the spiritual life. But you know, Chris, after whatever it is now, 35 years or so of working with Ignatian um, spirituality and the exercises and learning and teaching this, my own sense is that for most faithful people, so I have in mind people who love the Lord, are trying to live their Christian life, and like all of us, the just man falls seven times a day, Scripture says, and we all need to ask the Lord's forgiveness daily. But sincerely love the Lord, our people of faith, and want to live their, their Christian life well. That the main problem or obstacle, as we said earlier, really is spiritual desolation. The enemy 
the evil one, the enemy, to use Ignatius' more uh, frequent word, has two what I would call garden variety tactics, spiritual desolation and temptation. Temptation to obvious sin. And then spiritual desolation, when we just get disheartened in the spiritual life. And I think that for most faithful people, it's the second tactic more than the first. We'll experience both. But it's the second tactic more than the first that can really cause us, well, precisely to lose heart and to pull back and not to dare to hope anymore that we can really grow in holiness and maybe to pull back from the group in the parish or let go of the prayer we've been doing in the morning or whatever steps we've taken to grow in the spiritual life as we live our marriage or family. And so a teaching which equips us to be aware of it, to understand spiritual desolation, to be able to name it when we're experiencing it, and then above all equips us to take action to reject it, I think is one of the most valuable things Ignatius gives us. There are specific circumstances in which other parts of his teaching come to the fore. So if I'm facing vocational discernment or a a major discernment in the family, his teaching on discerning God's will, how to prepare for that, what the process is, how to identify God's answer, would come very much to the fore and be important in that setting. But because most of the spiritual life, as I've said, is the ongoing daily ups and downs, I think, broadly speaking, for most of us, it's this teaching on spiritual desolation which is going to be the most helpful. So that's a reason why we're going to focus on that in these uh, reflections. We're going to pull that thread and focus on that in these conversations. And I would like to bring forward as well that there is a series of recordings that the Oblates of the Virgin Mary have undertaken to enhance the overall teaching. That is also available, isn't it? That's available through my website, right? Mm-hmm. So those are available. And of course, the book is available as well. Because I don't think that there can be too much, I mean, particularly to, to help us to come to an understanding. Because this can be a rather tricky area, desolation. Before we leave St. Ignatius and his life in this particular conversation, I, I do think that, again, in the prologue, there's this wonderful opportunity that you help us to see that certain things which seem like disasters, hardships, immense sufferings in the life of Ignatius, greater things happened. That's, I think, what makes him so relatable and I think is really important in today's world because right now we may be going through a personal suffering and wondering why and what have I done wrong. And God may be using that in a very particular way. Absolutely. Let's just uh, name one example of that. So Ignatius, he's age 30, a cannonball passes through his legs in battle. Left leg is damaged a bit, but it's really the right leg that's pretty well shattered. The French surgeons uh, perform whatever surgery they can on the battlefield to try to reset the leg. Ignatius uh, reaches home And the doctors look at the leg and find that the bones are out of place and the leg's not going to heal unless they're rebroken and reset, which they do. So that's the second surgery. Then when Ignatius is well enough to um, become aware of the state of his right leg, he sees that beneath the, the knee on the right leg, one bone lies very visibly on top of another. So the bones were not set properly in this third surgery. 
Now, I smile sometimes because I think that if that happened today, what would happen would be a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, that seems like a pretty significant, well, misapplication of the doctor's efforts there that so visibly one bone lies on top of the other. And in fact, Ignatius would limp a bit for the rest of his life. So Ignatius insists with the doctors because in the dress of the day, there was a tight-fitting stocking-like clothing up to just above the knee for those of nobility. So this is a social disfigurement. And Ignatius insists with the doctors that they cut away the remaining part of the bone, which they do, so there's a third surgery. And then the months of convalescence follow. And I've often thought, what if the doctors had got the third surgery right? And Ignatius' leg was basically as good as new after that. He would have simply resumed the life that he was living, which was far from God. It was the life of his father and all his brothers and his family. And the story would have ended there as regards uh, his his love for the Lord and all the fruit that, that came from it. Because the doctors made a pretty serious mistake in the surgery, his whole life changed and was and he was brought to God. And that can shed a light on, I think, so many things in our own lives. Uh, unfortunate things, it might be of health, maybe it is doctors and a treatment in certain circumstances, or just ongoing physical struggles that are hard. You know, that in our prayer we'd often say, Lord, why can't you spare me this? I just want to do your work or love my family or, you know, whatever our vocation is. And there it is. Or maybe financial issues that uh, arise. You think of people who get into very difficult legal situations with no fault of their own. So, so many things can happen. Sometimes you meet people who go through these with faith and something in your reverence is you see the growth in people through this. What is that line of C.S. Lewis? The kindness of God is softer than the hardness of men and his compulsion is our liberation. Hardness is not pleasant, compulsion is not present, but that's where it leads. His compulsion is our liberation. So yes, you see that very much in Ignatius' life, and that's just one instance of it. Even the fact that we don't know exactly what he did, the crimes. He did something that was very, very serious, and by all standards, very sinful. Yet there was this conversion, and... You can see, even in the writings, a humility resulted from all these different events in his life. That even in his writings, he will say, and correct me if I'm wrong, Father Gallagher, that he would say, if this helps, use it. If it doesn't, okay. I'm paraphrasing, of course. I mean, there's always a, I'm offering this to you if you want. There's nothing so rigid in his life. You must do it this way. It must happen that way. He's, very, he's actually very gentle. He is. And I think the reason for that is exactly what we said earlier, that these rules were not written in a library. They were the stuff, you know, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. So to go back to that first rule, just to give one example again, when Ignatius speaks of how the enemy and the good spirit work in a person who is going from mortal sin to mortal sin, as he describes it, So a life that is far from God. How could he write that rule? Where did it come from? And essentially it came from just observing his own experience. When he, the years, good many years until the age of 30, when he was living in that way, 
he recognized in his own experience that this is what the enemy is trying to do. Fill my imagination with images of sensual delights and pleasure, because as long as my imagination is filled with these, I'm going to keep moving in that direction. And the good spirit is never going to leave me in peace, stinging and biting in his conscience. And it was the very discomfort of that, as I said earlier, that sense that I always feel dry when I think of living in this way, that uh, awakened him to the fact that um, this was not where, well, not where God wanted him to go, but not where he wanted to go either, because there was no happiness there. So I think even though the style, as I said, is very essential, um, there are no, there's not one extra word in it. It's very um, dense in the sense of packed. We warm up to it when it's unpacked because we know that this is coming out of flesh and blood. This is coming out of real experience. And that, that's the service I hope that the earlier book and this book do, or any of these presentations, or anyone who's teaching discernment, is simply to unpack what is said in such uh, a dense form. And when that happens, that's why we, we exemplify it through real-life experiences. And that's when people get excited. I get excited about it, because I know the difference that it makes. So as we get closer to Ignatius as he really is, we find a very human brother with whom we can relate. A human brother who fell in love with the Lord and was given the special gift of articulating what we all experience so that being aware of it and understanding it, we know what action to take. Understanding and knowing the life of St. Ignatius of Loyola demonstrates an important point, I think, that you also bring out in the prologue, and that's the importance of sharing the story of our lives. And you quote Dorothy Day, the servant of God, Dorothy Day, essentially that, that we need to talk out of our own experience. Yes, that's a lovely quote, which I came across years ago in reading one or another of her books. And she says, you write about yourself because in the long run, all man's problems are the same. You write about yourself because in the long run, all man's problems are the same. I think this is from her book, From Union Square to Rome, or the title is something like that, and where she's telling the story of how she came to faith. And that really clicked with me when I read that, because I said, yes, that's exactly it. If we write about our own experience, what we're really doing is holding up a mirror so that as people read the, the writer's own experience, what's really happening is that they're seeing their own experience. Yes, I, I know that. Uh, there's kind of a thrill and excitement when you say, I know exactly what he or she is, is talking about. I've been there. But now I have words for it. And now I know I'm not alone in it. So that I, I used that quote to explain why in this book, by contrast with the earlier book, I felt free enough to share some of my own experiences. Because, as I said, what gives me the courage to do it is that they're so utterly ordinary. And precisely because of that, my hope is that as readers will read these journal entries about maybe a struggle with desolation or whatever, uh, they'll be saying, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I know what that's like. And the fact that somebody has chronicled this in the small ups and downs of daily living shows us where to look for it in, in our own life. So whether it's uh, St. Therese in her story of a soul or Augustine's confessions 
or any of these chronicles of spiritual experience. That's essentially what's happening. And we love them for that reason, because they are revealing to us, again, with individual nuances, different from the author's, but essentially, uh, there's a commonality of spirit because God is the same for all of us and the elements of the spiritual life are the same for all of us. We all have the same humanity. That's what led me earlier to write that little book on praying the Liturgy of the Hours where I told my own story of sharing that for 40 years because I was very conscious of what I was of doing precisely that. My own experience, in a sense, doesn't matter very much but my own experience shared as a mirror in which people can see their own experience. Yes, I have that struggle too. Oh, that's something that I found helpful or that I could try. That, that's what the hope is, and that underlies doing that in this book. We'll return to Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app where you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John S. of Deacon James Keating, Father Donald Haggerty, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more. They're all available on the free Discerning Hearts app. Over 3,000 spiritual formation programs and prayers, all available to you with no hidden fees or subscriptions. Did you also know that you can listen to Discerning Hearts programming wherever you download your favorite podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, even on Audible, as well as numerous other worldwide podcast streaming platforms. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has a YouTube channel? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts Catholic podcasts dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these videos, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. We now return to Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher. There's something that comes upon people, and maybe it's the work of the enemy, and it tells you that I could never be that person. I could never be that holy as they turned out to be as we reflect on their life. Or my problems are, they can't be fixed. Or the the limits that we assume, not only on ourselves, but on God. That's a danger and a trap, isn't it? As you say that, you bring to my mind one small detail in right back to that conversion experience and one person's comment on it when we went through it. When Ignatius had that long convalescence after the third surgery, the time 
hung heavily on his hands. And so to, to pass the time, he asked for reading. And he says in the autobiography that what he had in mind was the kind of reading he was used to doing. And these were the novels of the day, of chivalry and knights and romantic exploits and feats of arms. But his sister-in-law, who was the lady of the house, only had two books in the house. And one was this Life of Christ and the other A Volume with Lives of the Saints. And so when in commenting on this, I pointed out that somewhat reluctantly, but to pass the time, Ignatius began to read. And one person afterwards told me that just that simple detail, he didn't really want to read this stuff, you know, was so encouraging. It's so human. It's so like us. And we could go on with many details like this. It's so helpful to see holy people struggle and know that they aren't just the the statue that you see, you know, or the the holy card that you see, but that there's a living, breathing, suffering, rejoicing, struggling, fruitful human life there uh, is so encouraging for all of us. So again, to know, for example, that Ignatius experienced spiritual desolation, alone in this room, just feeling, as he says in that moment, like I'd never ever, this man who had such deep experience, I'd never felt anything of God, I never would again. And then he says, being so confused with different thoughts, I'm just going to get out of this house. It's so encouraging for us. It's all of us. One thing that I love when I teach the rules is uh, at a certain point, I will say to people, you know, at some point you're going to ask me, well, Father, how is it that you can describe spiritual desolation so well? And all the things that we, you know, refrigerators and smartphones that we turn to and the web. And and then I'll say, it's not just because I've read about it in books. Uh, I'm not standing on any pedestals here. You and I, we all share the same experience. And I know when I do that, you can just see a lightness come into the, oh, it's all of us. And when we see that in these great figures of the spiritual life, it's so encouraging for us. Because what it says is that God's grace is not limited by our human smallness. Uh, God's grace can do wonderful things. In another set of talks, when we spoke of the Lord of the Rings, I quoted that little line from Tolkien's letter where he says, well, in the Lord of the Rings, when Gandalf says to Frodo, when Frodo responds to the challenge, the call, in a way that Gandalf could have never foreseen, this humble, small, the smallness and stature indicates this ordinary people and sees him respond with a courage and even a a desire that he could have never foreseen, then he says, hobbits really are extraordinary creatures. And that's what we discover. Now to go out of the myth and back to to real life, that, that there are capabilities within us, that grace can do things in us that we might hesitate ever to, to dare to think is possible. It's one thing I love about St. Therese. She dared. She was bold but not because uh, she saw greatness in herself, precisely because she saw littleness in herself and, and weakness and imperfections. But she knew the power of God's grace. What it is really, it's the first beatitude, which is, it means more and more to me as the years go by. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. Those who aren't depending on their own greatness and capabilities uh, know their smallness, know their littleness, 
know their weakness, know their sinfulness, their frailties. And so come to God with poverty, um, with knowing their need and depending upon God's grace. And then, as Jesus says, blessed, happy, something wonderful uh, is, is here now in this person's relationship with God when they are poor in spirit, because that's what gives entry into the kingdom. So seeing the, the struggles of the saints, seeing their weaknesses, uh, in another conversation, and we've done so many of these now, on Venerable Bruno Lanteri, in the biography I wrote, specifically for this reason, I had one chapter in there which I entitled Spiritual Struggles, where you see this man of God failing, struggling, not as generous as he'd want to be, but, but not willing just to stay there desiring to go forward. And that's the real call in the spiritual life. So yes, you see that very much in Ignatius, and I'd say that's a thread that runs through all of this teaching on discernment. You know, I think, again, what we're about to undertake now in breaking open the nuances and the damage that spiritual desolation can wreak upon us, and understanding that, you can see where this teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola aided in other spiritual writers if, of his time who would end up, I mean, I'm thinking of the Carmelite influence, even Teresa of Avila had at a certain point the influence of the Jesuits, and they helped her in her ability to be able to discern and to see when she's in desolation, and she articulated it through her Carmelite voice. But we also would see it in uh, the work of Francis de Sales and, and so many others down the years that it would end up influencing uh, spirituality, essentially, and Christian spirituality in a tremendous way. Yes, and that's why we speak of this as Ignatian. Not Ignatian in the sense that only in his writing is this experience present. Ignatian, only in the sense that the words, the formulation, was written by Ignatius of Loyola, because the experience is universal. So as you say, you know, whether with different vocabulary or similar vocabulary, you'll see it in every figure of holiness. Uh, Teresa of Avila, Francis de Sales, who made the Ignatian exercises. Sometimes the influence is direct, as in Francis de Sales' case, or in Teresa of Avila through her Jesuit spiritual directors. And sometimes it's simply a recognition in one's own experience of something that Ignatius has described and found words for it, which again, now I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people with whom I've shared this over the years, that's why universally there is a sense of delight. Because that's what happens. He is bridging their own experience and now a, a spiritual text. In the spiritual text, they find their own experience. I've always loved reading spiritual experience, and I read it everywhere I can find it. So, for example, that's what led me to read Dorothy Day's Long Loneliness and From Union Square to Rome and any writings of that kind. Or simply, if I see an article in a Catholic paper where someone's recounting a conversion story or an experience of prayer, in any case, I've always been very interested in that kind of experience. And what happens is, knowing now the Ignatian expression of this experience, consolation, spiritual consolation, spiritual desolation, enemy, good spirit, they're different tactics, you, you see it. Currently, for example, I'm reading the letters of St. Therese, 
and there it is. You know, experiences a spiritual consolation or spiritual desolation. Now, when that happens, when we start seeing that bridge, and I love this at times when I see this in people with whom I'm sharing it, when they begin to tell me that they're identifying this in their own experience, as I said earlier, that's when it really can start to become the help that it's meant to be. Once you're free, then, and you understand it, then God has the opportunity then to bring in even more. There's more, the magis, there's more. There are two kinds of freedom at work in this. There's freedom from and freedom for. So freedom from setting captives free from the discouraging lies of the enemy and spiritual desolation. Of course, it's beautiful in itself just to have the burden lifted, but ultimately it's in service of freedom for. That's the freedom you're speaking of. Freedom now to plunge more deeply into prayer, to grow in love and service of the Lord in our respective vocations, to love God more, to receive more God's love, to grow in holiness, and to walk joyfully through life struggles, but without the lies and discouragement of the enemy, or at least knowing what to do so that they don't plunge us into that darkness. Uh, and the struggle itself becomes fruitful, ultimately leading us toward the joy of eternal life. That's what it's about. So yes, it's a, it's a freedom from, as I said earlier, what I think is for most of us the real issue today. Or, well, the main struggle for, for most faithful people. Because it's obvious that as you look at what's happening around us in the world, and in some ways some of the struggles in the church that it can weigh on our hearts, and we see trends, and where the culture it seems to be heading, is heading in so many ways. Um, problems and concerns about where it's all going to lead. There are so many reasons for us just humanly to feel discouraged, and that can flow over into our spiritual lives as well and become a vulnerability where the enemy can then bring the discouraging lies of desolation. Yes, it is going badly. It's never going to change. Um, don't get your hopes up. And personally, don't think that you're ever going to grow much in the spiritual life. Look at you struggling. It's always going to be like this. All of this discouragement and lies of the enemy, it's very real today. And there are other ways in which we can feel it. When we don't feel well physically, for example, there's another vulnerability in the heart. It's just hard, and the enemy can bring this further trap into into these situations. So that's why, it's probably a little repetitive here now, but that's why... I think it's so important that we be equipped to deal with this. And I think it's going to become more important as the years go by. When I first started this work on discernment, it was not, by the way, it was not a conscious choice that at some point I just said, well, I think this would be a good thing to work on. What happened was a conversation with one of my fellow priests that just got me realizing there's more in these rules than I know and made me decide to start formally studying them with some excellent commentaries. And then out of that, began giving very simple talks, and eventually, it, it, what really opened the rules for me was not so much my study, which was important, but the response of people when I shared them. You saw captives being set free. People, just their hearts lifting up with new hope. I don't have to live captive to this discouragement and this darkness. And that's how the whole thing happened. And eventually from the presentations came the books. But I had no idea then 
just how far all of this would go. I had no idea, for example, that we would have a pope like our present Pope Francis, who is encouraging discernment repeatedly. Now we're going to have a synod, you know, which is going to deal specifically with it soon. But in the formation of priests and living the Christian life, constantly bringing to the fore the need for discernment. So it's been, what would I say, humbling, moving, beautiful for me to see how this teaching is becoming more and more necessary and important and coming forward in the life of the church. And I, from all that I can see, that's simply going to continue. And the main issue for most of us is going to be dealing with the discouragement of spiritual desolation, which is why, well, why we're going to have these conversations. And just to kind of bring that bridge into that review of the of the rules, but also in a sense to really focus in on spiritual desolation, that this is a response of the Holy Spirit working through, as I've come to know him, I always say little Ignatius, but it just makes him more on my, I can feel like I can see him eye to eye. But also it's the same spirit that brought a message to the Desert Fathers. It's the same message that spoke to a Hildegard and a Bernard of Clairvaux. It's the same one that speaks to us today. It is just a, a response to try to set us free, as you have said. Yes, it's, I'm glad that you, you bring this into the conversation now because it's important to add one element in, in this. And that is, we're, we're going to speak of spiritual desolation, but let's put it in its proper context. There are two spirits, the good spirit and the enemy and they are not equal parts. Both are real. It's important to recognize, be aware of, understand, and take appropriate action in response to both. But they are not equal parts. The enemy is a fallen creature. Yes, of a higher order of being than we are, but still no more than a fallen creature. Whereas the good spirit is the infinite, eternal, omnipotent, infinitely loving God. So this whole spirituality of discernment is shot through with hope. It's a spirituality of grace and redemption. The main thing in the spiritual life and in the discerning life is not spiritual desolation. It's spiritual consolation and the love and work of God and the growth that comes through that in our lives. And in fact, in the, in the book, all of this is spelled out in clearly. So I think it's important that we say that even though we're going to speak about spiritual desolation more than consolation, as Ignatius does too, because that's where the needs are greater. Still, to keep things in proper perspective, the greater piece in the pie chart, it's much, it's almost all of it, is what God is doing. And what God always do, does is the same. He loves us. He pours out grace. And spiritual consolation is one of those uh, avenues. And we've all experienced it. And our hearts feel God's closeness. And prayer is alive. And there's joy in taking new steps in the spiritual life. That's the main thing. And wonderful growth comes from that. But, as we were saying earlier, in order to have the freedom for that, we need increasingly the freedom from the discouraging lies of the enemy attempting to weaken and sap some of that energy. So that's our goal here. You've been listening to Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher. This particular series is based in part on Chapter 4 of Setting Captives Free, 
personal reflections on Ignatian Discernment of Spirits. You can find this book on Father Gallagher's website at fathertimothygallagher.org. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Spiritual Desolation. Be aware, understand, take action with Father Timothy Gallagher.